A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST site, my own website, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz or at Banking Day. For the most exclusive access to leading economists and business leaders from around the world, subscribe to Talking Business from our website, leongetler.com. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 27 in our series for 2023, and today's date is Friday, August the 4th. First, I'll be talking to Parry Laxman, the founder and CEO of Kangarama, which is on a mission to incorporate innovation, functionality and sustainability to create wearable safety scrubs. And I'll be talking to economist Nicholas Green about the better ways that firms and super funds can invest in ESG and produce results for investors concerned with companies making good on the environment, social issues and governance. But first, let's talk to Perry Laxman. Perry, tell us, I mean, you launched your first collaboration range at Kangarama with the Wiggles. That's right, yes, yes. So so tell me, so how does, a, how does an antibacterial and antiviral fabric manufacturer get into with the Wiggles? Well, look, how it started was basically as we were developing this product and, you know, we got our core range, we, um, we kind of said, look, there's no one really doing anything in the pediatric space. We know that there's some fun scrubs out there that, that that's got that's got prints all over. And we and we kind of flicked through and we kind of said, hmm, actually, no one's doing anything in the uh, no one's doing anything with the Wiggles, right? And we know the Wiggles are so they're big in Australia. In fact, they're big kind of worldwide. But there was no one doing any collaborations there. And we I just approached the Wiggles, um, their licensing team. And- um I just yeah I just put out the feelers I said look you know this is what we do I sort of um, explained to them you know what our sort of goal is and what we do and what we stand for as a company and no they were excited they said look we actually they said look to be honest we've never been approached um doing a product like this most of their products are you know t-shirts and shorts and and you know um dolls and sort of figurines and toys but this was something quite different and yeah so we just connected and and it kind of worked out well it was it was a long sort of process purely because there were so many disruptions happening <laughs> last year that, you know, we started to do it, then we stopped and we started to do it. And then finally it kind of kind of moved. And then, yeah, so we, we got there, we just launched it um, in March and we've um, it's been successful. We are, my team's just been uh, packing all these orders at the moment. So it's been really good. Okay. Now, so tell us, I mean, this is mainly aimed at kids. Correct. Yes. Yes. Um, this is predominantly in the pediatric division. 
we um, focused on pediatrics and sort of children's hospitals. That, that's sort of where it's sort of at. Um, you can use the product in dentistry um, as well. And, and that's also um, something that they can do. So what sort of products are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about water bottles and stuff like that? Uh, so in terms of the, uh, the product, how it's made? Yeah. Yeah, so we use a component where it's used from recycled plastic bottles. And it's a certified product. So we obviously get it through a, a proper company where we get the, um, the yarn. Um, and then we also process that yarn in, in our factory. Okay, so where's the factory? It's located in China. That's the only place that we can get this process done. I have a good friend there that, um, that owns a factory there. And so this process is quite, it's quite a confidential process on how we sort of manufacture it. So, you know, we have that sort of understanding. What will this do for your market? For us, I think it's just about getting our sort of brand out there. You know, the Wiggles were something that we did just to get our brand out there. Kangarama as a company, what we stand for is really, we kind of a material science company. Our main focus is to develop products that are sustainable and, and that's kind of a future-proof product. We're finding that a lot of uniform companies don't really focus on the sustainability aspect. So, you know, we're growing. We've got a, a range of fabrics that are sort of in the process at the moment that are going to stay, we're going to, kind of in the future, we're going to stay away from using recycled polyester. There's other yarns, um, which I can't say as of yet, but we are using that's going to be a lot more sustainable. Okay, yeah. but I mean, this 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 would, your, your business would have really taken off during the COVID pandemic, wouldn't it? <laughs> Funny thing you say that is because it took, in 2020, that's when we started development and it took about a year, right, to to sort of get the process pat down. So that kind of put the spanner into works because the problem is we had manufacturing issues um, in the sense, you know, because we produce locally here at the time, that caused a lot of a lot of pressure on the manufacturing. So it kind of, it's it's been a slow start, but we just need to get that product out there. And that's our focus at the moment is to get that product out there um, into, into, into hospitals. So, so we're kind of now in the process of working with um, wholesalers directly. Obviously you've got quite a niche there at the moment. It is, yes, current, currently it's quite a niche. Yeah, we, we wanna get this product out into the world. You know, this, this just requires a lot of regulatory approval. So our product, we've registered this product into the ARTG. Um, so it is an ARTG registered product. But you're looking to get this globally done as well? Correct. Yes, correct. Okay, so yeah. what markets are you looking at globally? Our next market that we're looking at is in um, the UAE. Why the UAE? UAE is a quite a, um, a big market. Um, there's a lot of um, big sort of medical schools. The medical sector is growing there. And this type of product is somewhat, I guess, attractive to the UAE market. What is it about the UAE market that be attracted to your particular kind of product? I think A, because, you know, we started making it in Australia. The other thing is it's an Australian brand. It's an alternative to another sort of brand, you know, whether it's in the States or Europe. And um, I guess it's it's that sort of, you know, that that process that we've gone to, to, to sort of start our product, um, you know, sort of level of sort of testing that we've done is, is attractive to them. Um, we're not just we're not just badging on a product. We actually start we make the product from start to finish. It's all designed um, in house. Everything is done with our team. Other other products are your Wiggles products available now? They are yes, they are available to order right now. Yes. So what's the price range? What's the, what are, what are they retail for? 
So we we have a standardized price. So all the tops that we sell, whether it's male or female, we sell them at sixty four ninety five. And then we also have the lab coat um, that we did, um, and that's one hundred and thirty nine ninety five. And how are they selling? They are actually been really good. Um, we had. Um, a significant amount of pre-orders because we had from the 1st of March till the 18th of March, they were on a pre-order. And obviously now that they've gone because the stock has come through, um, we're off pre-orders and we're sort of now rolling it as we, as we come. So uh, where do you see the future for Kangarama? For us, where we see the future is a sustainable global brand where we focus on not just in the medical sector, but other areas also. We believe that even in the childcare industry, I think this product would be quite um, useful. There's um, sort of the airline industry, there's the, the, um, the cruise industry. Um, you know, they're the, they're the sort of, I guess, where we would like to focus in the, in, in the future. Right, okay. So you, you're seeing yourself expanding beyond uh, hospitals and stuff like that. Correct, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Once, once we get the medical sector right once we have the product right um because our, our, our sort of goal is to create an actual compostable biodegradable scrub right we don't want to add anything to the landfill right so we want to be able to develop a product where the government whether it's the government whether it's the private sector they buy our scrub they wear it we know that the scrubs that they wear in hospitals are only worn maybe three months or six months at a time you know, that just adds the landfill. We want to be able to get a product where it's, if they need to replenish that product, then it can be composted and it can break down. Right, okay. Well, we'll be watching Kangarama with a great deal of interest. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Perry. Thank you for your thank time. You. Thank you so much. Thank you, Leon. And now let's talk to economist Nicholas Grimm. Nicholas, you recently gave a talk to a conference on ESG called ESG, Will You Take the Ramp Off-Ramp from Reality. What do you mean by the off-ramp from reality? Well, I was talking to, so, so ESG stands for Environment, Social and Governance. It's a, a big thing, uh, a, a recently a big thing in investing. And this was a group who were responsible for ESG. And I've, I'm on the warpath uh, against foggy thinking, I guess. And if you th think firstly about those values that hang in the foyer. Let's say your organizational values statement is a list of values and it says, I've just listed a few randomly, honesty, responsiveness, teamwork, and competitiveness. So I call that starting to get onto the off-ramp from reality because if you want to talk about those values, you have to talk about how you trade them off. In other words, we're all in favor of honesty and responsiveness and teamwork and competitiveness, but they, if they mean anything at all, they will so sometimes one will be more important than the other. And it's in exploring uncomfortable questions like that, that we learn really what the values are. And so a great deal of thinking this is basically a discussion in which everyone remains comfortable. And while everyone remains comfortable, one, the, the I'm arguing, you're not really making contact with reality. And that matters when we talk about values in investing and so on. So the values aren't made clear? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that, so, so take two of these values, responsiveness, well, responsiveness, teamwork, competitiveness. 
Now, if a team is to work effectively, sometimes you need to identify a particular person who's not working well or something's not working particularly effectively. And uh, you might, in that case, say we need to be honest and then we won't be, then, the, then we will compromise the teamwork ultimately to improve that teamwork. So, uh, so very well, generally speaking, values are demonstrated by uncomfortable trade offs. But while we talk about them in a way that makes us all comfortable, we're really not making much contact with reality. Okay. So the issue is how, how do you trade one off against the other? The issue is uh, that, well, that is a way to start talking about your values. If, if you say we are honest, well, what does, does that mean that if someone says, do I look nice in this dress that you say, well, maybe not. There are all kinds of different ways in which there are, these words are very, very broad and very general and very abstract. And it's in working out how they apply in specific situations and how you might choose to be a bit more honest in a situation because you want to bring about a particular thing which you think is worthwhile. Uh, it's, it's that that it, it it's it that's when you're talking about values not when you have a list of five things which we all agree make us feel good about ourselves you highlighted a new paper on investing in green and brown firms tell us about it so the way i illustrated this point is that uh one of the things that people responsible for esg will often do is if you're in interested in the environment for instance there are lots of investments that target green firms, and a green firm might be a firm with low emissions. Now, a firm with low emissions is likely to be a bank or a, uh, a firm that uh, does, does mostly work in offices and so on. And there's been a recent paper, uh, you'll, you, can, you can tune into free, the Freakonomics podcast to learn about it, in which uh, a study was done by uh, Samuel Hartsmark and Kelly Hsu demonstrating that it, it looks like if you, well, the, the idea of investing in green firms, in low emissions firms, is that every if everyone does that, all high emissions firms get starved for capital. But what seems to be happening is that, and, and when you starve for capital, your capital costs go up, you pay higher interest rates and so on. What these people have shown is firstly that the quintile of high emissions firms emits 280 times what a low emissions firm does. And so if you spend all your time investing in low emissions firms and trying to get their emissions down, you leave 282 times that on the shelf for somebody else to fund. And it turns out that when the cost of capital of a high emissions firm, let's say it's making steel or aluminium or something like that. When the cost of capital of those firms goes up, they invest less, their time horizon shortens, they need to make an they need to make their what investments they do make pay off in a far uh, sooner. And as a result, they tend to emit more, not less. So 
what that's illustrating is that this thing that well, it, it's illustrating that if you if you think that investing in low emissions firms is good for the environment, it's a very plausible, nice thought, and you're putting your money into a into a ethical investment fund that does that sort of thing. But in fact, you're on the off you've taken the off ramp from reality. You imagine yourself to be doing something good in the world, but in fact, you're you're not in fact you're doing very little at best uh and arguably what you're doing is actually the opposite of what you say you're doing and perhaps what you think you're doing so how do we actually come to make decisions on what's the best way for say uh super fund so i think what has to happen is something uh what temp, what happens here is that we're giving super funds, we're giving investment funds tasks which are actually very difficult to do. We had a carbon price. We had a carbon pricing regime, and a carbon pricing regime gives everyone an incentive to lower carbon emissions. It is very difficult for a firm, even a large firm, to lower the total carbon emissions of the economy. Now, I don't want to, it, it can be done and an example of something which almost certainly has lowered emissions quite substantially is a small hedge fund called Engine Number One, started by a hedge fund, uh, started by a rich hedge fund manager. It, it bought 15 million dollars american dollars worth of shares in exxon mobil which is a very small amount of shares given the size of exxon mobil but it did that and it was an activist and it got among blackrock and all kinds of large investors in exxon mobil and it brought about a major change in exxon mobil strategy it changed four of its board members and exxon mobil has gone from being kind of a well initially funding climate denial and and then after that uh, funding a lot of political activism against uh policy action against greenhouse uh to trying to seize the best commercial opportunities of low emissions of, of lower emissions technologies so that's the sort of thing that we can do but there's a a broader issue here, which is that if you give a bureaucrat, and I'm afraid I'm going to call managers in private companies bureaucrats, if you give a bureaucrat, imagine we're in an episode of Utopia and the bureaucrats get given a task to do that is very difficult and they don't know how to do it. Well, they'll pretend to do it and then they'll produce reports and they'll put on a good show. And I see that as one of the most fundamental problems. So what I would like to see is a different kind of structure rather than lots of effort being put into comms, lots of effort being put into communications between the managers of the fund and the members. I would like to see, and we've spoken about this previously, Leon, I'd like to see something like a citizen jury of members. How would that work? Well, you would, in a randomized kind of way, you might pick 26 members of a fund, 
to re and and they would be representative in terms of gender and age and wealth and so on and then you would pay them to spend i would say maybe 12 uh, weekend days a year being well informed about this issue because most investors most super spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine with the weather warming up it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a pilates class or outdoor guided walk peloton has everything you need to help you get going get a head start on summer with peloton at onepeloton.com hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Fund members do want their investments to be to do some good in the world as well as some good for them. And you really draw them into the, the difficulties of doing this well and the fact that it can't be done on slogans. And then I think you might be able to do something quite exciting. Well, Nicholas, that is all quite important. And thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Leon. So what's happening in the news? Well, the Reserve Bank has left interest rates on hold for the consecutive months for the first time since it started raising them in May last year. The RBA's cash rate target will remain 4.1% following the board meeting. The cash rate has jumped from an historic low of 0.1% since the RBA started hiking 15 months ago, the steepest increase to borrowing costs on record. The cumulative effect of those rate increases appears to be biting in the economy, particularly for the household sector. A smaller than expected increase in consumer prices during the June quarter combined with an unexpected plunge in retail sales over June has convinced the RBA that another rate rise was not warranted at this point in time. The recent data are consistent with inflation returning to the 2.3% target range over the forecast horizon and with output and employment continuing to grow, RBA Governor Philip Lowe noted in his post-meeting statement. The RBA is currently forecasting inflation to be back below 3% by late 2025. However, Mr Lowe warned that the Reserve Bank was not necessarily finished with interest rate hikes. And more electric cars have been sold in Australia during the first six months of 2023 than during the whole of the previous year, the Electric Vehicle Council, a lobby group, says. In a study released in July, the EVC said by the end of June, 4,624 EVs have been sold, nearly three times as many in the corresponding period in 2022. The best-selling EVs, the Tesla Model Y, the Tesla Model 3, BYD803, MGZS EV, and the Volvo XC40. According to the EVC, there are 91 models available for Australians to pick from, including both hybrids and battery EVs. The study also pointed out the number of charging stations, 967 high-power public charging stations, 558 locations, 438 fast charger locations, and 120 ultra-fast charger locations. And ANZ Roy Morgan Consumer Confidence was, was up 3.2 points to 78.4 this week, to its highest for three months since late April. However, the index has now spent an equal record 22 straight weeks below the mark of 80, equaling the all-time record of five months, 22 weeks, from September 1990 to January 1991, when the index was conducted on a monthly basis. 
Consumer confidence is now 5.7 points below the same week a year ago. July 25 to 31, 2022, 84.1, and almost level 0.1 points above the 2023 weekly average of 78.3. And almost 100 companies operating on Australian docks and freight terminals are being monitored by authorities who believe many of them were established as a cover for organised crime gangs to import record amounts of their cocaine, other illicit drugs and illegal goods. As customs officers plan a fresh crackdown on the nation's ports, Australian Border Force has revealed the size of the watch list compiled through Operation Chardina. Its effort to identify and combat trusted insiders in the supply chain has ballooned to about 1,000 individuals and more than 90 businesses working at the border. Law enforcement agencies struggling to keep up with a massive uptick in cocaine shipments to Australia in the past year are set to partner with international customs authorities and businesses to gain access to real-time shipment data to increase efforts to disrupt drug smuggling operations throughout a corrupted supply chain, air cargo, baggage handlers, stevedores, freight forwarders and maritime crews. Australians are prepared to pay the highest prices in the world for cocaine, making it a lucrative market for powerful drug cartels. Throughout the past calendar year, there's been a series of large detections of attempted cocaine importations, both onshore and offshore. Border Forces officials had seized 4.5 tonnes of cocaine this year. As of the end of April alone, the highest amount in any of the previous five years was 2.5 tonnes. And Australians withdrew nearly $7.8 billion from bank deposits in June, the first big drawdown since May 2021 and the largest on record as interest rate increases and high inflation started to bite into savings buffers. While savings levels have proven a challenge for the Reserve Bank as it tries to return inflation to target, new data from the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority shows the most aggressive tightening cycle in a generation is starting to take a toll. While the country had $1.38 trillion on deposit in May, this declined to be closer to $1.37 trillion by June 30, according to APRA. But Rate City Research Director Sally Tyndall said while it was further proof households were using savings to make ends meet, there is still a giant buffer propping up household budgets. And the latest NAB Consumer Insights survey indicates that 43% of Australians experienced some form of financial hardship in the second quarter off the back of rising inflation and higher interest rates. This is a significant rise from a survey low of 29% in the first quarter of 2022. Not having enough money for an emergency remains the most common cause of financial hardship or stress and impacted 24% of people in, in, this, in Q2. Around, around one in five Australians overall also said hardship was caused by not having enough money for food and basic necessities or being unable to pay a bill. Noticeably, more women, people under the age of 50 and people in lower income groups experienced these hardships in the second quarter. The most common type of payment missed was an electricity, gas or water bill, 12% up from 8% at the same time last year, followed by a phone or internet bill, 11% up from 8% in Q2 2022, a repayment on loans from family or friends, 10% up from 7% in Q2 2022, and a credit card payment unchanged at 9% but up from 6% at the same time last year. Slightly more Australians also missed a buy now, pay later, BNPL, or insurance payment at 8%. The number of Australians unable to make mortgage repayments in the second quarter was unchanged at 6% despite rising interest rates. The survey also indicated 34% of Australians believed very much that money is a source of stress in their life and that 26% they are struggling to make ends meet. This was the highest in the 30 to 49 age group, with 42% stating that money was a source of stress. There was also a higher number of individuals in this age group struggling to make ends meet, at 31%. The research also found that 28% of respondents felt that they could not manage a major unexpected expense at all. 
around 3 in 10 felt they were not on top of their day-to-day finances or did not believe they were on track to have enough money to provide their financial needs in the future. And Australia's most controversial coal mine has reached a major milestone with a Carmichael operation of Bravus, the trading name of Adani Mining, exporting its 10 millionth tonne of coal, but the company still plunged to a $365.7 million loss last year despite record coal prices in 2022. The company's accounts, filed with the corporate regulator, showed $232.9 million of that loss was due to foreign exchange movements, with the bulk of that figure related to changes in the value of its $2.7 billion worth of US dollar-denominated loans, which inflated in value as the Aussie dollar fell against the greenback. But the mine, which cost about $2.5 billion to build, still booked a $132.8 million operating loss for the year, with a Bravis-owned haulage company that moves its coal to port booking a $16.7 million operating loss for the year. And David Jones and Fashion Stable Country Road Group have revealed a sharp slowdown in sales, blaming rising interest rates and a deterioration in trading conditions that is keeping customers away from stores, cratering sales for the department store and chains that sit within Country Road Group. Country Road, Mimco, Witchery, Politics and Trinery paint a dire picture of the nation's $400 billion retail sector, which is facing an anxious consumer squeeze by cost of living pressure. South Africa's Woolworths Holdings issued a trading update for the year to the end of June, warning of slowing sales momentum at David Jones, which was sold early this year to a private equity firm for $100 million, and the Country Road Group, which it still owns. It blamed wilting consumer confidence caused by Reserve Bank rate hikes for the worsening growth, which saw the formerly robust sales of DJs and Country Road Group nearly grind to a halt in the six months to June. And in recent weeks, some of the world's largest renewables developers have started to become more cautious about committing to huge offshore wind farms. Surging costs have foiled ambitions by Sweden's Vattenfall, Denmark's Orsted and Spain's Iberdrola for major projects in markets much more mature for offshore wind than Australia. But none of this appears to have dampened the enthusiasm for turning Victoria's sleeping Gippsland into the next global hotspot for the industry. Enthusiasm for what is regarded as an area with a virtually unparalleled combination of attributes, from an untapped world-class wind resource to shallow waters and nearby grid connections, as well as a clear need for more dependable clean energy, remains unabated. Offshore wind is the next frontier. The energy transition can really bring new life into the region, says Carolyn Sanders, head of operations of Japanese-owned Flotation Energy, which is planning the $6.5 billion Sea Dragon project 20 to 40 kilometres off the coast between Paradise Beach and Nagora Beach. She's among those that say a spate of cost inflation, which has derailed planned projects in the United Kingdom, the United States and Taiwan, among other countries, should be less of an issue here. That's because more developed markets have had prices for power generated from proposed offshore wind farms locked in from previous years, which do not take into account the surging costs felt by the sector more recently. In some other regions of the world, the low-hanging fruit, the really good sites for offshore wind, have already been developed, Sanders says. I think the first projects in Australia are going to need some price support, but we expect that, as the industry establishes, we will see that come down. Star of the Sea, also off Gimsland, is the country's most advanced offshore wind projects. Its chief executive, Charles Rattray, says rising costs are a broader issue and emphasises the region's ideal location for offshore wind. Cost pressures are impacting everyone, including energy, he says. The CSIRO's latest generating cost report, released this month, found costs rose by 20% on average across all technologies in the year to June 30. It estimated offshore wind costs as between $85 and $170 per megawatt hour of output in 2030, compared with as low as about $45 for onshore wind, but much lower than nuclear. 
Sea Dragon and Star of the South are among 37 proposals under consideration by the designated regulator for huge offshore wind farms off the coast of Gippsland, the first region to be declared an offshore wind zone by Energy Minister Chris Bowen in December. That number is expected to be whittled down to five or six by late this year, pointing to a likely period of jostling, negotiation and consolidation between competing ventures, as powerhouses such as Macquarie, Shell and local players Origin Energy ensure they capture a slice of the action. And in late May, shortly after PwC entered full damage control amid its tax leak scandal, the firm's acting chief executive, Kristen Stubbins, asked Richard Gregg to join her and another senior partner, Marcus Laithwaite, on a video call. There, Greg, a partner of the firm specialised in the government's research and development tax incentive scheme, was told he was on leave and prohibited from contacting his colleagues, clients or accessing his files. He was not told why he was on leave or for how long he was expected to stay away from the office. There was, he knew, an investigation into how extensive the use of the confidential draft information on anti-tax avoidance laws plans had been inside PwC, although it was unclear who had conducted those inquiries. What Greg did not know at the time but would learn a little more than a month later, was that he was on course to become a casualty of the firm's push to dump many of its tax partners and senior leaders, whether they were directly linked to the tax leak scandal or not. Even worse, the firm would unceremoniously and without warning name him in a media release as one of eight partners being exited for professional governance breaches. Greg's outrage over his treatment led him to become the first partner being ousted from the firm to take legal action. Last Wednesday, he successfully obtained a temporary injunction preventing the firm from forcing him to retire from the partnership with PricewaterhouseCoopers. Greg's legal representatives argued that he was not given enough information or valid reasons as required under the firm's partnership agreement about why he was being exited. They also argue he had nothing to do with the tax leaks matter. PwC's representatives now concede the attempt to fire Greg is not related to the misuse of government information. They say he's been forced out earlier issues with the advice he was providing to clients as part of a program to change the culture within the firm's tax division. And at home loan interest rates charged by the major banks to new borrowers are outpacing official cash increases as lenders shift from writing mortgages at below the cost of capital to safeguarding profits and dividends. The country's largest four banks have shifted the rates offered to new customers by 0.32 percentage points more than the Reserve Bank's official rate rises since the start of the year on basic home loan products, according to data provided by Finspo, a mortgage broker. That is a significant turnaround from the cutthroat pricing last year when those rates increased by an average of only 2.77 percentage points, 0.33 percentage points less than the central bank's 3% in rises. Aggressive mortgage discounting last year pointed to banks attempting to grow their loan books at all costs, but lenders more recently have been recouping margins to bolster earnings. This is applying additional pain to mortgage holders, who are now paying 29200 more a year on a $1 million loan since the central bank started lifting rates in May last year. And Michelle Levy, who led the recent Quality of Financial Advice Review, has raised questions on the suitability of big superannuation players offering financial advice as industry super funds seek to expand their role in the sector. Just weeks after the government surprised the industry by cherry-picking the review in favour of big super, Ms Levy says, I worry this is the wrong place to start. She's also raised the issue of deepening risk if super funds expand in the financial advice sector. What is proposed might be too much and too hard and expose members to risks, she said. Under plans outlined by Finance Minister Stephen Jones, staff at big super funds, such as industry funds, will be able to work with it without the same educational and ethical qualifications required by existing financial advisors. But Ms Levy has now openly doubted the capacity of big funds to deliver financial advisors' plan. It's going to be really hard to get it right, she explains. 
major super funds have already come under criticism for poor service levels and for holding on to member funds for longer than necessary. And Ben Robert Smith's key supporters at Seven West Media have been forced to hand over thousands of documents showing their involvement in the former soldier's failed defamation case as the nine owned newspapers at the centre of his lawsuit pursue his wealthy backers for legal costs. Federal Court Justice Anthony Busenko on Monday rejected a bid by Seven West Media Chairman Kerry Stokes, Seven Network Commercial Director Bruce McWilliam and others to resist handing over documents to Nine showing communications with Robert Smith's lawyers during the case against the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. And billionaire mining magnate Gina Reinhart's father Lang Hancock exaggerated his personal role in the discovery of rich Pilbara iron ore reserves and downplayed the role of others, the West Australian Supreme Court has been told. This was the assessment of lawyer Jeremy Stolia SC, who recounted to the court a business meeting in May 1972 between Mr Hancock and his associates at the time, including prominent businessman Don Rhodes. Mr Stolia is representing the Rhodes family company DFD Rhodes, which has joined the mammoth legal battle between Ms Reinhardt's Hancock Prospecting and Mr Hancock's late former business partner Peter Wright's family and their company Wright Prospecting. The Wright family is claiming billions of dollars in royalties and equity from the Hope Downs mines and deposits in the Pilbara region. The Rhodes family also wants a cut, claiming they have a right to 1.25% of royalties from Hope Downs owned and operated by Hancock Prospecting and Rio Tinto because of the 1969 agreement between the parties. Mr. Stolia was trying to demonstrate that his client had an important role in the early years of iron ore exploration and development, not just Mr. Hancock or Mr. Wright. In the May 1972 meeting, which was recorded, Mr. Stolia said Mr. Hancock told the others the meeting was about fighting efforts by the state government to confiscate some of the Hope Downs tenements from them. I may have at various times shot my mouth off, Mr. Hancock told the others at the meeting about his discussions with the government and his role in developing the iron ore reserves. And the number of Qantas passengers disgruntled about refunds for being unable to access $400 million worth of credits issued since the pandemic, poor service and flight cancellation continue to soar in 2022 as pressure amounts on the government to act on competition in the aviation sector. A draft document from the Airline Customer Advocate that has been held back from release since April showed the number of complaints about Qantas was sharply higher than pre-COVID-19, even though passenger numbers were much lower. The ACA said eligible complaints rose to 1,426, but received a total of 6,918 complaints from customers in 2022. Qantas alone accounted for a disproportionately high 4,000 of the total, followed by its subsidiary Jetstar, Virgin Australia and Regional Express. This number of eligible complaints represents an increase of 138% on the previous year, with complaints relating to COVID-19 impacts, flight delays, cancellations, refund requests and fees and charges representing the biggest areas of customer dissatisfaction in 2022, the ACA said. While the advocate, which is funded by the airline, said the increase was to be expected based on the increased volume of passenger numbers with the lifting of COVID-19 restrictions in Australia and internationally, it was higher than 2018's 1,410 eligible complaints and 2,135 total inquiries. And it's a profit reporting season again. Credit Corp reported a 5% fall in profit to $9.13 million. Royalty investment company Detera has recorded $73 million in mining royalties in the latest quarter, taking its financial 2023 figure to $229 million. Insurance group PSC now expects to deliver $111 million in earnings in the 2023 financial year. Travel agency Hello World has upgraded its full-year earnings guidance to between $42 million and $45 million. Bunnings landlord BWP Trust has reported a 1% decline in full-year profit 
net profit was $36.7 million, including $76.9 million in unrealised losses on properties. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Barb Hyman, the founder and CEO of Sapia AI, an AI-driven recruiting program being used by some of Australia's biggest companies. And I'll be talking to Comsec Chief Economist Craig James about what's ahead in the market. In the meantime, you can catch me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube. And if you want, leave a comment. For the most exclusive access to Linux economists and business leaders from around the world, subscribe to Talking Business on the, on the Apple Podcast Store or on my website, leongetler.com. If you want to contact me, email me at leon at leongetler.com. I answer all emails. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.